Good morning, David. Good morning, good morning. Well, good morning. Don't worry, they'll still be there when the service is over. I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family this morning, both at the Lake Norman YMCA and online. Always great to worship together. As a church family, we are rebuilding the habits of worshiping and serving together on Sunday mornings. Whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there is room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. Well, we're in the midst of a season of celebration as a church, and there's room for you to join in. We are celebrating 10 years as a church. We celebrated that two weeks ago. We're celebrating how God has changed our lives during that time. We're celebrating that at the end of this year, with the blessing of all of Lake Forest, we will take the step of maturity to become a freestanding church called Story Hill Church. So between now and then, you'll hear us say Lake Forest Davidson and sometimes Story Hill. You're smart. You can figure it out. We're also celebrating that we're in the midst of the Established in Love campaign, trying to secure commitments to start building a church building on South Main Street in Davidson. And we want everybody, individuals, families, everybody, to find a way to be meaningfully involved in the campaign. So if you're in the gym this morning, we put an Established in Love booklet in every other chair. If you and your neighbor both want one, you're going to have to work that out. Actually, we have some more on the, as you head out the door, there's more on the table. So you can reach a peaceable solution during the service. I'm confident. If you are not in the gym, we did not put uh, a booklet in your chair on your couch this morning, but you can go online to storyhill.org, storyhill.org, which will eventually be our church website, but is now the landing page for Established in Love. And in fact, Last Sunday, we had a fun time out on the land. Did any of you make it out to the land? We had around 200 folks come out to the land on South Main Street, gorge themselves on barbecue and slaw, thanks to Sadie. And, um, and uh, hear about the building, hear about the campaign. If you missed it, though, we're doing the same event, just not on the land. It's on Facebook Live today at 4 p.m., I'll do the same content about the campaign, about the building, more than we can share on Sunday mornings. You can type in your questions. We'll answer them. I'll also answer the questions people ask at the land event itself. So just trying to help you understand more about what Established in Love is, what this building is, how you can be part of it, ask whatever questions you have. So at this point, the, the thing is, be praying about this. Take the booklet. Read the booklet. Go online, storyhill.org. Read the site. It gives you much the same information. Start praying about it. Start talking to people you trust about it. Go to the land. There's a worship walk on the land. You take 30 to 60 minutes and you, you walk the land and you pray about how God might use it. So we're sort of at that point of the campaign of where we want to be thinking about what it's going to mean to be meaningfully involved in established in love. So, big picture, we're asking folks uh, in, the back of the, in the back of the little uh, booklet, also online, there's a digital version, uh, in the back of it, there's a little commitment card. 
And we're asking folks to start considering what those commitments will be, because the goal of our campaign is that we will all grow spiritually, that we'll all take a new step of faith, a new step of generosity, as we repurpose some of what we think are our skills and our resources and repurpose them for God's kingdom. And if we do that goal well, I think we'll achieve our second goal, which is to raise $4.8 million for the building of a church building on South Main Street in Davidson. So again, in the back of the booklet, there's a commitment card. There's also a digital commitment card online. As you look at that, we're asking folks to consider a three-year financial commitment over and above your regular giving to the church. Your regular giving is what finances the, the ongoing ministry and mission of the church, the week in and week out. This is a one-time established in love giving for the one-time work of building a church building on South Main Street. So a three-year commitment over and above your regular giving to the church. We're asking everyone to bring their commitments on or before. September 19th, they all said. September 19th. If you will be here on September 19th, bring your commitment card. If you won't be here in person on September 19th, or you're not sure, you can bring it one of the next few Sundays. And when after the service I say, let's respond with our voices, our offering, and our prayer request, you can bring your commitment card to one of these baskets as your offering, as your response to God. If you don't know that you'll be here in person, you can always bring it to the church office. There's a little black box outside our office. You can just slide it in. Or there's the digital version. If you get to the 18th and realize you have not made a plan, you'll have the digital card as well. I suppose that's really what I wanted to say about all that. But what we've tried to emphasize during the Established in Love campaign is ultimately this is about our spiritual growth and praying that God will use our little works, our, our little efforts, our little repurposing of our lives for His grander purposes, which is changing people's lives. And so today we want to do another one of these little God stories, a snapshot into what God's been doing in someone's life over these first 10 years. So if you will... Uh, Join me in welcoming Davidson Class of 2020, my friend, Emily Roebuck. Is that perfect? Yeah, that's perfect. You got it. Look at that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. As Michael Flake said, my name is Emily Roebuck. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to share a bit about my God story with you all because Lake Forest has truly played such an instrumental role in it. In fact, I could probably write a novel on it, but Michael Flake told me I only have a page, so I'll try my best to be concise. I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, and was more or less indifferent to God. My understanding of faith was pretty legalistic. So I figured that if a God did exist, I was a good enough person, so I'd probably be fine either way. And I really didn't give it much thought beyond that. Instead, I found validation and self-worth in things like my grades, sports I played, friends I had, boys I hung out with. And that was the case through graduating high school. Fast forward to early on at Davidson College, things took a turn from indifference to resentment towards God. One night I was taken advantage of by someone who I thought was a friend and who was one of the first people I met in my life who boldly claimed to be a Christian and love God. I thought, well, if he claims to love God, 
yet was capable of doing this horrible thing to me without any sign of remorse, God must not be real or God must not be good. And I grew so embittered toward Christianity in general for about two years. And during that same time, was damaging myself more as I actively tried to regain my self-worth in other ways. Through school, which at Davidson is not exactly a walk in the park. Sorry if there's any freshmen here. (laughs) Um, Through field hockey, where we barely won three games a season, and yet I was still a bench warmer. And through boys, who I was recklessly seeking validation from and losing parts of myself in the meantime. And as I tried to fill myself through these worldly measures, I was truly left with nothing but an empty shell. But in an unexpected way over those two years, my growing resentment towards God actually ended up leading me closer to him. In my effort to disprove his existence, getting my hands on any books I possibly could, what I actually found was a wealth of history, coherency, and validity in his story and his creation. At the same time, God was placing people in my life, like Noah, my now fiancé, and Addie, one of my best friends, who through the way they lived their lives and carried themselves, kept a lingering curiosity about God and me. He was slowly gaining my head, but I still needed to give him my heart. And that's when Lake Forest came in. I'd been apprehensive to come to church, I did not think I was put together enough to come by any means, especially given the way I had been living for the past 21 years of my life. But after Noah had been wanting me to come for almost a year, I finally joined him my senior year. I was blown away at how warm the community is. Lake Forest held a space for me to safely ask hard questions, seek honest answers, show up as myself, and most importantly, Hear the gospel. Ephesians tells us that Jesus rescued us while we were dead in our sins by God's mercy and grace alone. Not once we had it all together, but today, anytime, just show up earnestly and God will take it from there. That was so foreign to me given my previous legalistic understanding of God's love. And the first time I heard this gospel message, I felt so undeserving yet heard God so clearly say to me, welcome home. I knew I could trust God who so lovingly gave his son so that my messed up self could still share in his wonderful love absolutely for free. There are certainly lots of layers of damage that I've created for myself and frankly continue to create for myself. But since giving Jesus the driver's seat in my life, God has been so patiently and faithfully peeling those layers, untangling those webs, creating room in my heart for forgiveness, and filling the empty shell that I had created. He truly is the greatest healer and restorer. As I start this new chapter in my life, beginning medical school in a new town this past July, I would be lying if I said it's been easy finding a new church home because Lake Forest is the first and only church I've ever been to, and I love my community here so much. But each Sunday I drive to church in my new town, I feel God graciously remind me that I'm not there to worship the music, the people, the experience, but I'm ultimately there to worship him. 
And I'm so grateful that he brought me to Lake Forest where I could first build that firm foundation of my faith and relationship with him before being sent out into the world wherever it may take me. Thank you. And for this, all of eternity rejoices. There's truly no need for a sermon now. Now, amen, amen. <laughs> truly no need for a sermon. So as we go on the established and love journey over these months and the three years ahead, we will have to continually remind ourselves a church building is not the holy grail. A church building is a tool for long-term vibrant ministry in our community. It is an opportunity to open our doors to our neighbors seven days a week, whether they're down the street neighbors or our most vulnerable neighbors. Ultimately, a building is our prayer that God will build upon, replicate, multiply the God stories we've heard these first 10 years. Yours, mine, Emily's, hundreds of others. God will build upon and replicate, multiply those stories for the generations to come. TJ did already say this. It bears just a, a quick mention. We do want to say a, a, a sincere welcome. Welcome back to our Davidson College students. Uh, I, as an alum of the, of the college, send my uh, sincerest greetings as well. Uh, and as TJ also prayed, as a, uh, a friend of Sam's, I share in the, the morning of the campus as we've uh, lost a friend, a rising sophomore, of the college. If we can be of help to you as you walk through that, please let us know how. We would love to support you in the midst of that. My deepest prayer for you as you're during your time at Davidson is that your faith would start or strengthen during your college years. We have seen that happen for so many people, and my prayer is that your faith will start or strengthen during your college years. And I hope that even though you're thinking, I'm 18 and I live on cat card, bonus bucks. I still hope you will take the Established in Love booklet and look at the commitment card because there are, in addition to financial commitments, there are other commitments you can make that will help you get more engaged in the life of the church. And that's what we would most hope for you, that you would find ways to get more engaged in the life of the church. So if you've not yet looked at the Established in Love commitment card, don't assume it's all money. Go and look and find your way to take a new step of faith. Today we continue our year-long series of sermons called The Story with a capital S. For all of 2021, we are going through the big picture of the Bible that from the beginning of time, God has been writing a great story in this world. And as Emily has, you and I are also invited to find our place in it. We also have resources available like reading plans, like videos, to try to make the Bible a little less big, a little less intimidating. So throughout the first half of the Bible, we've been hearing about this coming hero, this wounded champion, the Messiah, the Christ, who will lead an eternal kingdom. Now in the second half of the Bible, we've been introduced to Jesus as the one we've been waiting for, that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is fully God and fully human, that God has wrapped himself in humanity and moved into the neighborhood. And he came on a rescue mission for you and for me to reconcile us to God. Jesus came to establish God's love, establish God's kingdom, and to do so in love. And now he's, we're at the part of the Bible where he started to invite people to join God's kingdom by saying, come, follow me. 
Come follow me. I will repurpose your life to be about God's kingdom. And now we're at the part of Jesus' ministry on earth where it's not just about what he said. Today we also want to emphasize what Jesus did. That Jesus was about teaching, but he was about actions. He was about words. He was about deeds. He came to change our minds, but he came to capture our hearts as well. And this gets us to the passage that Britt read for us earlier from Mark chapter 5 starting in verse 25. So if you like to follow along, that's where we'll be in the Bible, Mark chapter 5. Now, if you don't have a Bible, you can always download an app. I, I unfortunately cannot. Uh, my iPhone quit updating years ago, but most people, I'm told, can still download apps. If you know anyone who works at the Apple store at Northlake, warn them I'm coming in this week, and I'm going to ask how to get my photos off an iPhone 4S. But if you don't have a physical Bible, there's one on the table on your way out. So you can grab the uh, physical Bible on your way out the door. In this passage, we're picking up in the middle of an exciting scene. Jesus' deep and compassionate eyes are fixed in the direction of Jairus' house. Jairus is a religious leader. His daughter is dying, and so Jesus and a crowd of people are walking that way. But in the midst of a crowd, there is a woman who has been suffering terribly for 12 years, and her life has come totally unraveled. She is desperately grasping for God, needing to make the gutsiest decision of her life. Have you ever been desperately grasping for God, needing to make the gutsiest decision of your life? Mark chapter 5, verse 25, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of growing better, she grew worse. I remember hearing this passage as a kid growing up in church and being very confused by it. I, 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 bleeding for 12 years, that just applies some direct pressure. <laughs> Scouts training, basic. And then I grew up a little bit, and I got to watch a video at school, and I realized <laughs> I had misunderstood what was happening. In fact, what we realize is that there is something seriously wrong inside this woman's body, and she has sought the help of medical professionals. She has exhausted everything she has trying to get better, and she's only gotten worse. And in fact, the religious system of her time only compounded her isolation and compounded her struggles. Because if you've been with us this whole year through the story with a capital S, you might remember the book of Leviticus in which there are holiness laws like this one, Leviticus 15.25. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time other than her monthly period or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge. Now that may sound odd to you and me. But it was central to the worship of God at that time. Now, in the early days of the church, God did away with a lot of uh, the ceremonial laws in that early part of the Bible. Uh, but at the time, it was central to the worship of God. And it was a system that emphasized the contrast between the mess of human lives and the way that God is set apart in His purity. And the big idea was, if you're going to worship God with the community, you have to be ceremonially clean. 
and all people, that's an important detail, all people at one time or another would be ceremonially unclean. That did not disqualify you from God's love. It just meant you took a break from worshiping with the community until you were clean again. And what this was supposed to do was to emphasize to you, experientially emphasize to you, that there was a difference between our lives and God, that God was holy, was set apart in his purity. It was an experiential learning of that fact. But this woman has been ceremonially unclean for 12 years. With every passing year, don't you imagine she felt more isolated from the community? More isolated from God? See, the, one of the real issues here was that her ceremonial uncleanness transferred to anything or anyone that she touched. She was the dirty shoe on the clean carpet. She was the spaghetti sauce on the white shirt. Everybody kept their distance. For 12 years, she had watched her life unravel, and the religious people of her day seemed to make that unraveling worse. I think pastors are allowed to say that. I know for some of you it's been your experience. It's been the experience of people that you know and love. The result for this woman was desperation. This woman became desperate for a renewed life. Desperate for a renewed life. Leviticus inspires a lot of questions. You can say amen to that too, Benji. Leviticus inspires a lot of questions. And perhaps the most important one is, where do you turn in your desperation? Where do you turn in your desperation? Do you turn inward? That if I can just control everything and everyone, it's going to all work out? Do you turn to substances to numb your problems and pass the time? Do you turn to a wearied set of friends? Do you turn to religious people only to find some of them standing at a safe distance? Do you turn to the philosophies and the theologies that tell you what you want to hear, tell you what you want to feel? Do you go into achievement mode? Do you set out to save the world? Anything to press down some of these nagging questions deep inside. This woman, in her desperation, thought she had one chance. So in her desperation, she turned to Jesus and decided to make the gutsiest decision of her life. Verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So this woman is in, a is in desperation. She begins grasping for God. If, all, if I can just get hold of some part of God, if I get just a sliver of God's goodness, that's going to be enough. So then she learns who Jesus is, and she sneaks through a crowd of people and touches his cloak. That means his outer layer of clothes. She touches his cloak. Now, you have read one verse of Leviticus. Maybe more, but you've read at least one verse of Leviticus, which in our day and time makes you an expert. I read an article about this thing last week. I'm an expert now. 
You've read one verse of Leviticus, so I tell, ask you uncleanness experts, when she touches his cloak, what should have happened? For 12 years, everything she's touched has become ceremonially unclean. But for the first time in 12 years, she touches something and doesn't change it. It changes her. And she feels a surge go through her body as she sneaks back off into the crowd. In her desperation, in her grasping for God, she reached out to Jesus and found him full of God's love, full of God's power. And she realized that at the top of this whole religious system, there's a God who operates differently. Because for everything else, unclean transfers. When you put your dirty foot on the clean carpet, the cleanness of the carpet does not jump onto your foot. Dirtiness overpowers cleanness. Sickness spreads to those who are healthy. Death is slowly eating away at your life. Bad company corrupts good character. But when she touched the cloak of Jesus, she realized that that does not apply to God. That God's life transfers. God's healing transfers. God's wholeness transfers. God's power, God's goodness, God's character transfers. That through the powerful and loving touch of Jesus, any life can be made new. This woman came to see what I hope you and I come to see, which is that her messiness did not transfer to God. All that excluded her from the religious community of her time did not exclude her from God. And that in Jesus, God was giving her everything she needed to live a new life. She didn't have to earn anything. It was going to be given to her as a gift. Verse 30, at once Jesus realized power had gone out from him. So Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. The woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. It all boiled down to the love and the power of God intersecting the faith the trust of this woman, that the position of her heart, the position of her mind had turned towards Jesus, that in all her desperation, all her grasping for God, her heart and her mind had come to the place that she was able to actually trust Jesus. And then came this one last thing she had never imagined. This woman falls at the feet of Jesus. She's trembling because she understands whose presence she is trembling in. Jesus calls her daughter. That Jesus came to relationally restore us to God and to community and to life. 
Jesus came to restore us relationally to God, to community, to life. Come out of death. Come out of isolation. Come and look into the deep and compassionate eyes of Jesus who has come to restore you to God, your creator, who has come to restore you to community so that you don't walk through life or through faith alone, who's come to restore you to the life that God always wanted you to have, eternal life after this earth, abundant, purpose-filled life on this earth that God might repurpose your life and my life to be less about us, more about God, more about God's kingdom. So that if you are a follower of Jesus, or if today or in the future you ever become a follower of Jesus, know, know that you know that you know that you know that He came to restore you to God, to community, to life itself, and He came to do it relationally. Because Jesus went out of his way to find this woman. He could have just felt the brown out and kept on going. But he stopped. He started to look around. He actually, there's a little part of this I left out where he asked one of his disciples, who touched me? And they said, what do you mean who touched you? There's a crowd around you. And I always feel a little embarrassed at that part because that would have definitely been me with a little smart aleck comment that got recorded for all history. Jesus is insistent. He's looking for who touched him, as if to say, I don't do impersonal. Yes, I will send God's love and God's power like a surge through your life, but I also want you to look into my eyes and know that you are my daughter. Know that you are my son, that I love you. I will always look out for you. You will always belong to me. You will always grow up in your faith under my watchful care. Through Jesus, through faith in Jesus, through trusting Jesus, we are invited to share in the life of the personal, the loving, the powerful, the transforming God. It is a relationship with Jesus in which any person can find true life, even if you've been hurt by religion, even if you've been hurt by religious folks. Just get to Jesus. Fight through the crowd and just get to Jesus. In crowds like this one, in crowds like the one that may well gather in our building on South Main Street, there will always be people who need to take the bold step of interrupting Jesus, only to realize He's never too busy for you, who need to take the bold step of pursuing God only to figure out He's already been pursuing you who need to take the bold step of reaching out to Jesus to find that He restores, and He restores relationally. The Sunday before we started this here fine church 10 years ago, we prayed, God, bring us people who are hurting. Bring us hurting people that they might experience Your healing among us. God, bring us hurting people that they might experience Your healing among us. My question to you is, how might God work through you to answer that prayer? How might God work through you to answer that prayer? How has God worked through you 
to answer that prayer. Because the truth is, I know I've been on the receiving end of that prayer. I know that I've been held up by God and by community through some of the hardest seasons of life. You may feel the same way. Think about where you were when you first joined up to our little ragtag church. Now play it forward that this week or the next week or a few years from now when we move into the building on South Main Street, fingers crossed, this week, next week, a few years from now, someone is going to walk through the doors that's in the exact same place you were when you first did. God has an amazing purpose for your life. And if we're not careful, it might feel like God is interrupting my plans. But Jesus wants to repurpose you, wants to repurpose me. Jesus wants to repurpose us to be part of how he restores one more person to God, to community, to life itself. How have you received the benefit of the prayer, God, bring us hurting people that they might experience your healing among us? But how might you also be part of how God answers that prayer for somebody else? Well, in case you were wondering... Jesus did make it to Jairus' house. But by the time he got there, Jairus' daughter had died. And so Jesus raised her from the dead. Because this passage is about how he came to restore us to God. He came to restore us to community. He came to restore us to life itself. And I personally wish God would show up at every funeral and do the exact same thing. But he has promised a day is coming. Well, I'm skipping ahead in the story a little bit because when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, though nobody else knew it, it was actually sort of a foreshadowing. It, it, was, it was a warning shot. It was sort of the first shot across the bow that there was an impending showdown coming. And we will get to that impending showdown in early October. But in the month of September, we will continue to learn more about the ministry of this person named Jesus who has come to restore you to God, to life, to community. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever he might be stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer.
Lord, I thank you for everyone in our church family. I thank you for all those who are worshiping with us today for the first time. I thank you for the work you've been doing in Emily's life and the courage you gave her to share it with us. I pray for those of us who you will later give the courage to share what you've been doing in our lives over these last years. Lord, you've set for us an amazing example here. And I pray that we leave with our thinking and our hearts reoriented a little bit. Lord, to those of us who are a little more established in our faith, may we be challenged by what it means to be full of truth and grace. That you did not disparage the religious system of that time, but at the same point, you interacted with this woman in a way that none of the other religious people had. May we be challenged by that. Lord, for those of us who are very new in our faith, or we are not yet people of Christian faith, I pray we would be struck that you don't do impersonal. And that, yes, you will change us from the inside out, but not through a principle, through a relationship. So, Lord, if we feel unworthy, if we feel that we only tremble in your presence, may we hear your voice saying to us, my daughter, my son, your faith has made you well. Be freed from your suffering. We pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.